Today, um, we are finishing up our series called RSVP, and I recently read a book, um, actually a book that uh, Joel requires his Chi Alpha interns and staff to read. Uh, it's a really excellent book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. How many of you read it? Joel's there, so you better admit. Okay, good, good. They all raised their hand. The author of this particular book grew up in a Muslim home, and he talks about how uh, in the book, the conversations and the investigations and the spiritual discussions that he has on his journey to become a Christian, which he now is. And at one point, um, he's telling this story about a student um, in his class, he, he was in a college Latin class, um, who, who sort of boldly leaned over to him in the middle of class and said, do you know about Jesus? And he reflects how immediately he, he kind of had this series of emotions. First, like, hey, you're crazy. We're in the middle of conjugating a verb in Latin. Why are you, why, why are you asking me this question? Uh, he, he said it was pretty socially awkward, pretty uncomfortable conversation. But then he said immediately, he gained respect for her in that moment. And this is what he writes. I want to read it to you. He writes, why had other Christians never asked me this question? They did think I needed Jesus to go to heaven, right? Were they content with letting me go to hell? Or did they not really believe their faith at all? This series called RSVP, Your Response is Needed, we are looking at texts in the scripture that, that show us how we need to be purposeful in our outreach, which is one of our core values here at Erie First. And I, I believe that this question that this formerly Muslim author asks is so convicting. It cuts right to the heart of our faith because before we can be purposeful in our outreach, we have to settle these questions in our hearts. We have to settle them in our minds. Do we really believe our faith? And if we do, do we love people enough to tell them about Jesus? Because the reason why we're not is either one or the other. We either don't believe it's true or we don't love people enough to tell them what is true. Why aren't we asking this question to everyone we know? And, and everyone we meet in some form or fashion at some point in our relationship with them, hey, do you know about Jesus? Christianity at, at the core is something that if you really believed it, it would change the way you lived your life. It would change the way you would want others to know the truth. And so for this last Sunday in this series, um, we're going to look at John 4. And it's where Jesus interacts with a woman at a well. And there are four things I want us to learn from this passage about purposeful outreach, okay? There are four things. There's so many, but I picked out four that I thought we could just focus on, on purposeful outreach. So the first one is this. Create strategic conversations. Create strategic conversations. So in John 4, 7 through 10, uh, I'm just going to read portions of this story to you. But it talks about how Jesus is tired and he's sitting by a well. So I'll follow along on the screen when I read it. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So you can see um, Jesus' evangelism strategy in this passage. You can see how he does evangelism. He sits down next to a well. That is his strategy. He, he knows the woman will be coming to the well because of his, his omnipotence, because of his all-knowing abilities, and, and he sits by the well and waits for her to come. Now, while he's there, he doesn't prepare a three-point sermon. He doesn't uh, write out a sign that ridicules her lifestyle, so when she walks by, he holds it up so that he, she knows what kind of sin she's encountering. He doesn't even um, initially invite her to the temple he doesn't gather the disciples and say, hey, let's argue, let's debate the theology of this woman until she comes to faith. He doesn't do any of those things. He goes to the well where he knows she will be, and he positions himself for a strategic conversation. And he makes the well his sermon illustration. He puts himself in the place where he needs a drink so that he can have an opportunity to supply the woman with what she needs. He puts himself in a position that he needs something so that he can create this opportunity to supply what she needs, the opportunity for living water. He doesn't say, I'll just hang out here and if she asks me, I'll tell her. He doesn't say, she comes here every day at the wrong time. Uh, she doesn't, she's not deserving of this message. She'll never come around. He, he literally thinks to himself, how can I set up a strategic conversation so that when she, I ask her for some water and she says, I can't get it for you, I can share this opportunity for living water. And I believe what we can learn from that is we need to position ourselves for strategic conversations. We need to ask God in our prayer time, show us who you want us to share my faith with, and then look for the moments and the space and the time and the opportunity to do so. This will take more listening than talking. This will take more asking questions than providing information. This will take praying before, during, and after you are engaging the person and asking the Holy Spirit to meet you in that moment, to create this strategic moment of opportunity. I love, um, I was talking with a friend last Sunday from this church who felt like uh, God, in this series, I had asked you a few weeks ago to really pray and ask, who is that one person that God is sort of laying on my heart to share my faith with? And she said that as she was um, praying, she was prompted to pray for and engage this certain cashier at the Dollar Tree that she visits often. And so she said, um, I, I always choose her line when I'm cashing out. The other line is shorter, but I get in her line. Because I hope that maybe just for a moment I could have some strategic conversation, even in that three minutes it takes to, to make sure that I get all the items in the bag, that I could have some strategic conversation, that God would give that to me, and I could have an opportunity. That's strategy. Another friend of mine um, who goes to this church texted me this week. She said, her sister-in-law, who she had been trying to share faith with for a long time, is, is not a believer, uh, expressed interest in that new Christian movie, I Can Only Imagine. And so she immediately scheduled a time. She, she canceled all her plans. What time do you want to go? I'll take you. Because she knew that that would open a strategic opportunity for conversation. So what if we each prayed every day that God would give us one strategic conversation 
to share the hope of Jesus? What could happen for the kingdom? What, what could happen in our city if we just had one conversation at a well every day? The second thing that John 4 teaches us is that kingdom trumps culture. Kingdom trumps culture. So in John 4, it's really interesting. We see a ton of cultural divides. There were so many things working against the Samaritan woman and Jesus having a conversation that it's pretty amazing, it's pretty miraculous they even had the conversation because there were just so many things uh, that, that was different from one another. First of all, in that culture, men didn't address women the way Jesus did at the well. So there was a gender divide. The woman at the well did not expect a man to ask her for a drink. That's not how it worked in that culture. And so just the genders were different. That was a huge divide. Second, it said in the scripture, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They don't associate. They don't acknowledge. In fact, if it was up to either people group, the other don't exist. They're just ignored. Their spiritual practices don't align. There's this huge divide it might even feel like now, if you were approaching someone with a different uh, religion of yours, and you might say, I don't even understand what, what they do, how they practice. And so that sort of talks you out of sharing your faith, because you think there's just so much difference between our religious preferences and our experiences that there's no way that we could find any kind of common ground. It says that Jesus points out in the conversation in John 4, 18, uh, says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And so Jesus calls out the moral divide between the two. The son of God and this woman of reputation are meeting at this obscure place. And, and there's all of these things that keep them from not having something in common. There was, a, in fact, so much keeping Jesus and the woman at the well logically apart. There were so many barriers to conquer. There were so many prejudices to eliminate. Yet, I just love this. The Son of God shows us specifically and deliberately in the Word of God that kingdom trumps culture. That kingdom trumps culture. That the kingdom of God bridges the gap between genders, that the kingdom of God supersedes religious preferences and backgrounds, that there is no moral divide too wide for the grace of God. Kingdom trumps culture. It leaves us with no excuse. Two people could have absolutely nothing in common this side of heaven, but the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on the cross for all of humanity. This is the truth. And maybe it's the only truth, but this is the truth that is for all. And this is the truth that can stretch and break down any cultural barricade. Don't underestimate the power in the cross. It's the game changer. The third thing I believe we can learn about purposeful outreach from John 4 is this. To sow with sincerity. To sow with sincerity. Um, you know, when it comes to outreach... You need to do your part. But you need to be careful to not try to do God's part. There's a role that, for us to play in the redemption of all of mankind. God gave us that role. But there is a role for God to play. And we cannot mix those up. 
We do not do any of the saving. We, are, we, we can get no credit for the salvation of another human being. But our role is to continue to sow with sincerity the truth into the people in our lives. In John 4, the disciples approached Jesus. So this is sort of after uh, the woman at the well and, and, and Jesus had their interaction. And the disciples come back with their, you know, with their sheets, their soda and their free sandwich. Okay, they went into town to get food. And, um, and they, Michael is so much funnier than me. It isn't fair. Um, so Jesus, uh, uh, so the, the disciples come back and Jesus explains to them and, and they, they're surprised. He's talking to this woman for obvious reasons. I just told you all the reasons because she is a woman, because she's a Samaritan, because she is more, you know, the moral divide and they come up and they approach and they, they say, Jesus, you know, kind of, what are you doing? And Jesus explains to them in verses 36 through 38. This is Jesus talking. He says, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So this is what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. Not all conversations will be instantaneous conversions. Every attempt at sharing the gospel may not end the way it will in your mind. Uh, it, it may feel like you're wasting your time in moments. In fact, from the outside, you could be continually sowing into someone's life, and they're continually rejecting your attempts to tell them about Jesus. And you may feel discouraged, but the spiritual progress is happening on the inside. The spiritual progress is happening, and perhaps it's not for you to reap, but it always is for you to sow. And so Jesus is reminding us, there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap. Every word we speak, every seed we plant, every action that we do for the kingdom, he uses it. He uses it, whether we can see it with our own eyes, our, our, our natural eyes or not. You do your part faithfully, and God will do the redeeming. That's what he does best, is the redeeming part. He just asks us to be faithful, to show up, and to sow in sincerity. You know what I thought about this week? The scripture does not record this. But we don't know who invested in the woman at the well before she came that day. We, we don't know how many conversations she had about spiritual things. We don't know who was praying for her in that moment. The scripture doesn't say that. It could have been her very first encounter with, with Jesus. It could have been her very first encounter with faith. Or someone could have been sowing into her. And that's why Jesus said, listen, someone has done the hard work. You may not, you may not be the reaper, but you have to be the sower. The best way to sow into others is with sincerity. It's not a check mark on your spiritual to-do list or, or, well, she told me to do it this week in church, so I better do it. it it's, it's this genuine belief that what our faith says in tr is true and that we love other people enough with the reckless love of God to share it with them. Even if it takes a lifetime of sowing into someone to do it with sincerity. I believe that sincerity is irresistible. That a life lived with conviction is hard to ignore. 
I ran across this story this week. I'm going to put a picture up there. There's a, this is um, a picture of the Scottish philosopher David Hume, um, who was very outspoken about his theories. He often spoke against Christianity. He argued against it. He was a very popular skeptic. People listened to him. They followed him. And on the other side there is George Whitfield, who was a, um, a preacher in the uh, Great Awakening, a famous evangelist in the First Great Awakening. And the story goes that David Hume, the skeptic, was spotted in the crowd listening intently to the preaching of George Whitfield. And someone approached him and said, hey, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. Down the road a couple feet, you just did a seminar about how it's not true. What are you doing here? And Hume said this, I don't. And then he nodded at Whitfield and he said, but he does. And that sincerity, that conviction that George Whitfield had, drew its sowed seeds into David Hume, the skeptic. The final thing I believe that we need to learn from John 4 really has to do with Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. And this will loop our sermon series all the way back to week one. When we talked, at Luke, we talked about Luke 15 and the parables in that particular chapter and how they all go together. And that the point is that one is greater than 99. One is greater than the 99. You know, Jesus was only on earth for 33 years. He was only in public ministry for three of those years. And so when he shows us something more than once, we need to pay attention. He, he, he really means it, and he models to us what he wants us to do. And I think the, the, the problem that often we do, the thing we maybe get stumbled upon as believers in Christ, is we think that evangelism and, and sharing our faith has to be this really big thing. Like we have to start an advertising campaign. Or we have to make a Sunday, invite your neighbor Sunday. We have to make it this really official thing, or we have to go put tracks on all the cars at the mall, or throw this huge concert and invite everyone possible, and have every band and the best communicator there, and then thousands of people will get saved. Now, these aren't bad ideas. In fact, some of these ideas we will do, but it cannot be the primary way you share your faith. I hereby declare every Sunday, invite your neighbor Sunday. Okay, that's it. We're just every single week. It's invite your neighbor Sunday again every single week of 2018. Because you don't have to wait for the church to design a special event. Jesus is the special event. And he's here every single week. He's here. And he's in us. And when you have those strategic conversations, he's in you. And so we see the woman at the well, and we also see how, how Jesus, just by telling this one woman at the well, doors fly open for others. I want to read to you John 4, 39, 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Just one conversation and the whole city of Sikar heard the gospel. 
And you know what's so beautiful about this story? And again, something as I studied, the Lord just highlighted to me this week, that the person that God chose to use, the person who shared the most vibrant hope with an entire city wasn't the king, wasn't the governor, wasn't the priest. The person that Jesus sought after to be the missionary to Sikar was the woman who had five husbands. The woman who understood God's grace so deeply, who understood there was no moral divide that could, that could cause Jesus to not be able to tighten it. Your past sin does not disqualify how God can use you to change an entire city. That's what that's saying to us. I also find it amazing that Jesus never entered the town, but the whole town was changed because of him. One was greater than the 99. He knew. He was strategic. So you can notice today that there isn't specific step-by-step instructions that will always work. Um, there, There isn't a scenario that if you just go and you say these words, this will bring people to faith. Or, or if you just have step A, B, and C, or one, two, and three, there is no foolproof method. There is no magic tactic. But the woman at the well would tell you that one day she met a man at the well that she visited every day who told her everything she ever did. And so when he told her he loved her, she believed him. Pastor Don would tell you that at age 12, the faithfulness of his Sunday school teacher set his life on a trajectory that led him to pastor here today because of the faithfulness of that Sunday school teacher. At a King's restaurant in Meadville, Dan Sheldon spilled his guts about how he was trapped in a porn addiction And a friend saw that strategic moment, that strategic conversation that Jesus opened up and said, confess your sins, accept Jesus as Savior. And in King's Restaurant, Dan Sheldon met the King of Kings. (laughs) That's what happened. Michael Estella started his journey of craziness with Jesus at age eight because his aunt invited him to accept Jesus. Steve Frank grew up in church. His parents sowed into him with sincerity, sowed into him the truths of the word of God, which led to this conscious decision to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. Sitting alone in an apartment after a night of craziness, including drugs and alcohol, Rick Tarr heard the gospel on TV And he knew there had to be something better out there than what his life looked like. And he says, looking back, he saw so many different people, even with just a word or two, sowed seeds into his transformation. And with God's reckless love, he left the 99 to come after Rick. And I love this part. Simultaneously, without them knowing it, God had his eye on Debbie, his his wife, not at the time who said she always felt Christ drawing her even though she wasn't part of a church growing up. She was married, divorced, found herself as a single mom, and at age 23 was invited by two friends to come to First Assembly of God on 32nd and Liberty. And in October of 1979, became a follower of Jesus. Shortly after, she met 
rock star Rick. <laughs> and Deb continues to declare that God is good, good father, and she is loved by him. God had her, his hand on all of that. Alan Larson said he met Jesus at age 11 during an altar call at his church. He said he remembers wrestling with the peer pressure in his heart about whether to respond or not, but he followed his heart to honor the God that was chasing after his. At age 14, Cindy Matta saw this remarkable change in her dad when he gave his life to Christ, and she thought, I'm definitely gonna do that when I'm an adult. And then someone invited her to a youth camp and she said it was in that moment she understood that Jesus has no adult kid barriers, <laughs> that he died on the cross for us from birth until forever and that the Holy Spirit met her in that moment and that was the beginning of her faithful journey with her heavenly father. Jen Straub saw prayer work through miracles with her family and she watched intently so when they invited her to pray the prayer of salvation she eagerly accepted to get to know this miracle working God and now she teaches at EFCA every day about this God that has done miracles in her life and sows with sincerity into these students Julie Kashinikov shared with me she grew up in a Christ-filled home, went to a Christian school, asked Jesus into her heart at a young age but like many of us had some rebellious years far from God she said, after almost two years of lying and deception, she cried out to God in her bedroom one night, tired of living two lives, and he radically met her there and changed her heart. Elise Sessler was invited to a vacation Bible school by a neighborhood family when she gave her life to Jesus. Maybe it was bring your neighbor to church day, right there. Ida Mae Loomis accepted Christ when two women started talking to her about healing for her sons, something she was so desperate for. Gina Full met Jesus in a really, very real way at a prayer meeting at Villa Maria. Ruth Steele realized someone loved her deeply at a, at a youth camp when she was 11, and it changed everything about the rest of her life. Linda Straub was a single mom searching for a real encounter with Jesus. She found it right here 16 years ago, along with a husband. I wrote in my notes, we don't do returns. I'm sorry, <laughs> just kidding, Bert. Not only did she find Jesus here, but she found a man who loved Jesus and a church family. Danielle and Adam Frano, many of you know their story, were addicted to drugs, broke, hopeless, 17 and 20 years old. But there is no gap too wide for the grace of Jesus. And they went to a, what they thought would be a business opportunity, but really it was God chasing after them and becoming an opportunity for Jesus to change their lives so that then they could continue to invest and sow in sincerity. And so many young adults and people have came to understand the love of Jesus through their lives. Julia Castleman found the reality of the Holy Spirit through some real conversation with a pastor's wife when she was 23, which set her on this lifelong pursuit of God's presence in her life. Brad Moore was prayed into the kingdom. He said as a freshman in college, the athletic director uh, kept inviting him to encounter Christ and kept praying for him as he sort of looked at him and just kept walking, watching Sports Center. <laughs> 
But his wife, Emily, encouraged and sowed in sincerity. And Sunday after Sunday, the word of God began to come real to Brad. And he said that men in his small group poured into him, had strategic conversations, and it finally clicked for this remarkable life change. And he's living in a way he never thought he would live. Christina Marsh was invited by her mother-in-law to join a woman's group. And she was asked to share her story of faith. And, and as she was sharing, the Bible study leader challenged her with that same question that we started this message talking about today. Do you know Jesus? And it was in that moment, Christina said she wasn't sure how to answer. And so for the next 30 minutes, her mother-in-law and the Bible study teacher walked her through the scripture. And these beautiful women of God prayed and cried and celebrated over her. And she said that the love of God was so real in that moment that it left her an entirely different person from that day on. Do you see the strategic conversations in these stories? Do, do you see how kingdom trumped culture? Could you see the sincerity? Did you watch while doors were opened through the transformation of just one life and how so many people were affected? In fact, some of you, I think, believe today could tell me some of those people I just mentioned were the ones that helped you find Jesus. Someone told you about the hope of Jesus and now it's your turn. And that's the takeaway today. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. If you believe your faith to be true, if you love the people that God made, look for strategic conversations. Remember kingdom trumps culture. Sow in sincerity and lean into that God's math that one is greater than the 99. Easter's next weekend. Take those invitations, get them in the hands of people so God can write their story like the ones I shared with you today. Someone told you and now it's your turn. So here's how I wanna end. In case today is the first time that anyone has ever told you directly or, or they haven't, I, I, I wanna do that right now. You are saved by grace. Jesus Christ looks to the bottom of who you are. He knows everything wrong about you in your life, but he loves you anyway. That's what he said to the woman at the well in John 4, and that truth is the truth that we all stand on today. He has paid the greatest price, and he wants your heart. And if you are here today and you want to pray with someone to accept Christ as your Savior, you don't have to wait till Easter. You do it today and you want your savior to, to, to become, you, you want God to become the savior of your life and you wanna make that decision. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come forward so we can do that. So we can have that moment. So you can write your story. That, that You can say to me, Nicole, my story is I came to Erie first, my mom dragged me there and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit got into my heart and said that Jesus loves me so much and I couldn't even stay away from the altar because I, I walked down and the Holy Spirit met me there. I, I'm believing today that's gonna to be somebody's story. But secondly, if you are a believer and you have not shared your faith in a long time, and maybe even today the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you and you don't like me very much because what I'm saying hurts a little bit. I'm okay with that as long as you blame the Holy Spirit, okay? And, and you're feeling a little bit like, man, this stuff is just a little bit uncomfortable. I want you to come forward and get some prayer and anointing oil and say to God, 
okay, now I'm ready. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. God, would you give me a strategic opportunity this week? Would you give me a conversation I can have? Would you help me be sincere in the way that I sow into this? God, would you, would you help eliminate every barrier that I, every excuse I bring up in my mind that the kingdom cannot bridge culture? So would you stand? So in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you need to scoot out of here, that's okay. You need to get your kids or, or you have a, something else you need to do. That's all right. There's, no, there's going to be no formal dismissal. This is going to be the formal dismissal. But I want to encourage you, don't leave if God is doing something inside of you. Don't leave. Because these are the moments that make all of this worth it. If there's nothing changing about your relationship with God, then you need to really evaluate if you believe what you say you do. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And if, if God is doing something inside of you, if you would like to make the first decision for Jesus that you've ever made, I want you to come down. Or if you, um, in fact, if the council members are here, if you want, guys want to make your way down here so you're ready. Um, if you just want some anointing oil and some prayer to just be more proactive in sharing the gospel, we're just going to do that to end. All right, so I'm going to pray. And then you put, put all your pencils down in your Bible and your purse so you can get ready to come, okay? I'll prepare you. Let's pray. Father God, when I wrote down these stories this week, I so many times my eyes leaked. <laughs> because God, I realized that you are working in so much bigger picture than we'll ever see. And I'm so thankful for the people in this room that shared their story, that asked, do you know about Jesus? And I'm so thankful for the ones outside of this room that shared with those in this room. But God, we don't want the chain link to end, God. We don't want to be the person that doesn't share. And so the, the legacy doesn't go on. And so we want courage and boldness, Father, this week. Lord, would you challenge us with those questions? Do we believe what we say we do? And if we do, do we love the people enough in our lives to fight for them with this reckless love, God, that you have fought for us? God, would you give us strategic conversations this week, unexpected strategic conversations that allow us to just sow in sincerity the truth and hope of the gospel? And God, would you remind us that you never attempted to draw a crowd, God. You always just went to the one. You went to the one. And I pray that you would show us the one. Lord, so that you can reach everyone, cities of people. God, I pray for those in this room that even at this moment, they've never made a decision to follow you. And I pray, God, that they would have the courage to come up and have a, a strategic conversation. God, that your story would be written in their lives. We love you. We thank you for who you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.